Marini's Media. Hello and welcome to this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time. I'm Ali Maxwell. On the line with me is George Ellick. And look, it's a, it's a period of the season, and I dare say it might last for the whole season, where we've got matches coming thick and fast. You know, we've barely reacted to the opening weekend's top stories, and then we've got a full slate of Carabao Cup fixtures in midweek with plenty of stories coming out the back of that as well. We've got so much going on off the field, of course, at the moment. So, spoilt for choice, really, in terms of topics today, George. We've got a, a really nice, I think varied pod for the listeners yeah we do and and even though this weekend is just the second round of league fixtures we've got plenty of football because as you mentioned we've had the Carabao Cup two rounds of the Carabao Cup and the EFL Trophy as well and we're going to speak to a player who's had quite a good time in those competitions in Danny Johnson at Leighton Orient I won't ruin the surprise but it's fair, if you don't know it's fair to say that Leighton Orient have had a pretty impressive start to the season and Danny Johnson the man they call DJ has been at the centre of it and Ali you and I are also just going to run through it's Thursday today the time of recording we're going to look ahead to the weekend's fixtures we've both picked out a game from each division that we think is our most exciting one to look out for. So plenty to get through. And we've got one other person on the line, Ali, who we spoke to about the biggest story in the EFL this week. I see what you've done there, George, saving probably the biggest story from across the EFL as a whole till last. But that is where we're going to start, because the big news is this weekend, eight EFL games will host up to 1,000 fans. It's across all three divisions in the Championship, Middlesbrough, Bournemouth and Norwich City, Preston in League One, Blackpool, Swindon, Charlton, Doncaster, Hull Crew and Shrewsbury Town against Northampton. And in League Two, Carlisle United and Southend go head-to-head in front of 1,000 fans, as do Forest Green and Bradford City. So this is obviously a really significant moment because, as we've discussed at length over the last six months, the difficulty that clubs are having financially, a lot of it is linked to the lack of match day revenue. This is a big step to get towards a time where they can start making some money through the match day and through fans coming through the gates, but also for EFL fans themselves. Six months without watching their team live, for so many of them, a huge part of their life. So a lot of people hoping that it will go well. So having seen that news, we really wanted to do it justice. We wanted to find out what it's actually like for these clubs who have put themselves forward to take on the 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 work this weekend uh, and at quite short notice as well it's fair to say so we dialed up brian caldwell he's the ceo of shrewsbury town he's been at the forefront of their effort to be one of the pilot clubs a successful effort they'll be hosting a thousand fans this weekend and that's what's coming up next this is the totally football league show with ali maxwell and george ellis sponsored by paddy power and part of the athletic podcast network For the rest of this month, this month being September 2020, you can take out a subscription to The Athletic for the frankly ridiculous price of just £1 a month. That's unrivaled football writing and analysis from the very best people in the business, a brand spanking new breaking news service and ad-free versions of each Athletic podcast, all for just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash league show to get started. (laughs) 
So we are delighted to be joined on the line by Brian Caldwell, the CEO of Shrewsbury Town, because Brian, all eyes on yourselves and seven other clubs that this weekend will host 1,000 fans as part of a pilot to see if it can be done, how it can be done and whether it will be done safely so that we can start planning for more fans back in EFL stadiums. I imagine it's all hands on deck at the moment. Just how important was it for the club to be a part of this pilot when you sort of discovered that it was an option early this week? Well, we got an email on Tuesday morning at half 11 from the EFL just asking if any clubs wanted to put themselves forward to apply to be one of the pilots. Um, We had to get... uh, the okay from our safe, local safety advisory group. The safety advisory group is made up of the Sports Ground Safety Authority, the Shropshire Council, uh, police, fire, ambulance, etc. Um, so we had, we had to reply by two o'clock the same day. So we had two and a half hours to get all that um, done. So we managed to do that, put the application in, and then so many clubs that they then vetted out between the Sports Ground Safety Authority and the EFL put that to the government to try and get the, the go-ahead to do that. So it has been all hands to the pump since then, because even from Tuesday when that happened, we didn't get the go-ahead until Wednesday at 1 o'clock. Um, and it's just been, obviously, you're trying to plan on Tuesday to make sure you've got everything in place. We then put tickets out yesterday because we had that all pre-prepared on the assumption that we'd hopefully get the pilot um, yesterday. So the tickets have now, the thousand tickets have gone to season ticket holders and they've all uh, taken up the allocation. Um, it is really important for me to get fans back as soon as possible. Um, as I think we can easily prove that it's safe for fans to come to football stadiums. I get slightly perplexed, if I'm honest, about how you know, 350 people can go in an aeroplane, yet we can't social distance people in a football stadium, which is an outdoor sport, You know, when everybody's facing the action and, and obviously everybody is socially distanced as well. So you know, for us to do a pilot is great, um, and it also hopefully offers, offers us the opportunity, because the Sports Ground Safety Authority are wanting everybody to run a, a smaller scale pilot prior to doing their full stadium as a social distance stadium. So we're hoping that if we can do this pilot on Saturday and it goes well and everybody feels comfortable that you know our planning and preparations and plans have gone uh, going as we hope they will, as we hope they will, then we can prove that the football can come back for supporters and for our next home game, potentially, we could get all four stands open rather than just one. Brian, football fans such as ourselves will be watching on this weekend, hoping that everything goes to plan because the excitement of being back in stadiums uh, in just a couple of weeks is huge. I mean, what's the reaction been like from the Shrewsbury fan base? Well, obviously, the ones that have got tickets are absolutely delighted, um, really pleased to get back. I mean, it's been you know over six months now since they were last in the stadium. Um, the slight difficulty we've got is we couldn't please everybody. You know, there've been a thousand. We've got around two thousand seven hundred season ticket holders at the moment, which is fantastic, especially when nobody really knew what was going to happen for the new season. Um, so the ones that have, have uh, managed to get the tickets are absolutely over the moon, and they, you know they're looking really looking forward. And I think everybody will be very excited to come back to a football stadium. More so, you know, you, sometimes you think about the first game of the season and how crowds tend to be boosted in the first game of the season because we've not had football for you know two to three months, whereas we've not had football since March, you know, the beginning of March at Montgomery Waters Medal. So it's been a far longer time to, for people to have missed their, their their weekly fix of getting to a football stadium and see their their favourite team in action. How how did you choose which fans? You know, it's a thousand can go to the game. How how did you choose which ones could go? 
Well, because of the timescales, if I'm honest, we, you know, we would rather have done it in a phased manner, um, whereby we would have, have people who had maybe renewed their season ticket first, for example, be giving them preferential treatment. But unfortunately, with the timescales involved, you know, by no, only knowing yesterday, Wednesday at, at one o'clock, it was just important to get the tickets out and distributed because part of our plans include that we've got a 24-acre site at Shrewsbury and it's fully um, surrounded by a fence and gates. So everybody coming into the stadium footprint, if you like, in the 24 acres needs to have a physical ticket um, in their hand or a digital ticket or a print-at-home ticket. So we had to basically make, ensure that everybody got their tickets, hopefully by today kind of thing, so that we can then also we need to now analyse who has actually achieved it, got the tickets, and then send out a free iFollow pass to everybody's email who hasn't managed to get a ticket for, for the game. So, albeit we would much rather have done it in some kind of fairer system, we we had to just go like, you know, we knew at one o'clock and we just put the tickets out at two o'clock to, to season ticket holders and said, look, because of the time skills, we have to do it in a first come, first serve basis. It's not the ideal, but we feel it's the only way we can do it to try and uh, move on to the next stage, which is obviously to then get the I follow codes, that unique codes out to every individual who's, who's also a season ticket holder but hasn't got a ticket. And we saw. On the initial list of, of 10 clubs, 10 matches, 10 hosts, if you will, for the pilot, that uh, two of them, Luton Town and, and Morecambe, have turned down the chance, saying that they didn't have enough time to get everything sorted. So we're aware of, of how much of a challenge this is proving to be. Uh, just give us uh, an idea, if you can, of exactly what needs to be done for, for health and safety reasons. You know, I'm thinking, you know, uh, one in every four seats used to create distance and or one-way systems. But what's the reality, Brian? Yeah, the reality is obviously everybody needs to be uh, socially distancing the seat. The way we, we've had to, when we were trying to plan for all four stands being open, we started looking at bubbles. We've analysed bubbles of, you know, analysing the database to see who's, um, how many season tick holders are at the same address. Uh, we put a survey monkey out to supporters to fill in to give us an idea of bubbles so we could kind of best guess what bubbles everybody's in. So what we've done for our stand, we're opening the West Stand tomorrow. Um, we've got obviously a thousand located within that who are all socially distanced. But what they are, they're in bubbles of one, twos, threes and fours, all spaced out across the full stand. Uh, we've had to bring in a one-way system for uh, getting to the, the toilets. Because the, the, only, the only time people will actually go into the concourse, because the concourse is a big problem for football clubs for social distancing. So if we can minimise the use of the concourses, then it helps you with your um, getting as many people in through the, the stadium seating plan in, in a socially distant manner. So we've, we've had to input like stickers and, and barriers, etc., for a one-way system, for example, to the ladies' toilets and the gents' toilets within the West Stand. Um, the area will all be sealed off on Saturday. Um, we've ha we've got catering units going outside the stadium. Now we're in the fortunate position, as I said earlier, we've got 24 acres, so we've got plenty of space at the back of each of the stands. And the one stand we are opening, so we're going to have catering units in the back of the stand. People, the supporters will come through rather than through a turnstile, which again is a, an issue for social distancing. They will come through the two corner gates, and hopefully we can when we can get the full stadium open, we would open the four corner gates to allow uh, plenty of space for social distancing. So what we will do is we'll have a soft ticket check um, on entering the three main entrances into the full stadium footprint of the 24 acres. 
We'll do a soft ticket check there to make sure everybody then gaining access to the stadium area has a, has a valid ticket. And then we will scan tickets at the two corner gates where people will then come in. Obviously, a lot of education needs to be done, you know, with the supporters. It's a totally different experience for fans coming to games than it, than it was you know, back in March, over the last number of weeks in the lead up to this, we've been trying to do like Q&As just with, with points of how this will work at what will need to be happening. Because at the end of the day, we need the supporters buy in to make it successful, not just for Shrewsbury Town, but I think for football in general. When you've only got eight pilots and you're one of them, you, you want to make sure you do it properly for the good of uh, football in general and for all football fans in this country so that hopefully we can get them back and prove that football can work in a in a socially distant manner and a safe environment for people to come back and fans to get back into stadiums again. I mean, that is the long-term aim here. We need to get fans back into stadiums. And looking at Shrewsbury Town in isolation, I mean, how important is it to the long-term future, I mean, and the short-term future, I guess, of the football club to get match day revenue and fans through the turnstiles as soon as possible? Well, I think people forget sometimes the general perception that I always find with people outside of the game, they think that football's awash with money. Um, if you take the Premier League, I think they're guaranteed about £120 million. If you take the Championship, they're guaranteed £8 million in central monies from TV, etc. In League One, it's £1.4 million. So we're guaranteed £1.4 million, which So therefore, our match day revenues are a far higher percentage of our turnover than Championship and Premiership clubs just because of the vast sums of money that is coming from TV. So for us, it is vitally important we get fans back as quickly as possible. As we said at the top of the interview, all eyes are on yourselves and the other seven clubs hosting these pilot events because as you have put very clearly, it is absolutely crucial for the the short-term health, uh, financially anyway, uh, of the English game that that this is a success and that uh, we can prove that, that more fans can be uh, heading to Stadia in the next few months. Brian, thank you so much for, for giving up your time. I know you're a very busy man, so thanks for joining no us. No problem at all. I'm delighted to join you. No problem at all. Thank you. This is the Totally Football League Show with Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. So, in midweek, we had a busy round of Carabao Cup action and some really good results for a number of EFL sides. We want to focus on one of them here and it's Leighton Orient who have had just a remarkable breathless start to the season after six months without a competitive game. Orient have won all four games this season. Uh, they started with a 2-1 win from behind against Forest Green in the first round of the Carabao Cup, a 3-2 win against Brighton under-21s in the EFL Trophy, which included a 95th minute winner, a 1-0 win against Oldham in their first league game of the season, an 89th minute winner. Uh, and on Tuesday night, this happened against Plymouth. Josh White back again to Brophy, drives it long towards Dan Johnson. Johnson has got behind the Plymouth Oil goal defence. He's one-on-one with the goalkeeper. And it's the DJ again. Would you believe it? The man's on fire. It's Leighton in three. Plymouth Oil goal two. Bring on the Spurs. It's Dan Johnson with the winner for Leighton Deep, deep into stoppage time. Amazing scenes there on the commentary. A 3-2 win against Plymouth Argyle. A 93rd minute winner from the man on the phone with us. Danny Johnson joins us. Thank you for coming on the pod today, Danny. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, very, very well. I can imagine that you are elated and probably a bit knackered, uh, as discussed. A remarkable start to the season. Just talk us through probably the most dramatic and maybe successful with four wins out of four start of the season in, in all of English football. 
Yeah, no, it's been brilliant. We've been set up very well tactically. That leads into getting positive results down the line, even if you're not playing as we had during pre-season. So, no, it's been a brilliant start. Uh, a long way to continue. You've scored in six consecutive games and these finishes have ranged from little dinks to, to poachers' goals, one-on-ones as well. I mean, what does it feel like personally to be in this kind of form? Uh, it feels brilliant. Uh, obviously, coming back in after the uh, the break, you want to hit the ground running and get off to scoring goals and getting some positive results. So to be sitting here now, having done that, that's what I came to the club to do, score goals and contribute to winning games. And uh, I'm doing that, so uh, it feels brilliant. Danny, what's it like at the moment schedule-wise? Because there's so many games. I mean, you've, you've only played one league game and already three in the cup. So basically a match every three days. Is, is it a case of play a game, have a rest day, train for a day? play a game like what's it like at the moment for you as a player pretty much exactly what you've said training one day then you've got a game the next day and then your recovery then you've got a rest rest day and then you're back in training and then on a on a Saturday you've got another game and then you just repeat the process over again which um, I don't mind because I'm a I'd prefer to be playing games than training I don't mind training but um, the <laughs> no striker are, likes training <laughs> yeah, everyone knows no. that <laughs> the games are what you what you want so when they're coming thick and fast um, the weeks soon fly by uh, and just tell us a little bit about your story your career up to this point uh, because we we haven't had the pleasure of seeing you go, score goals in the EFL uh, until you joined Orient in January uh, and your Wikipedia CV includes a, a trip to Spain to try and kickstart your career uh, and also an eye-catching 45 goals in 39 games in one season in, in non-league as well as a prolific three years with Gateshead and then a couple of years in Scotland. So you've, you've really been all over the place in your career so far. Yeah, journeyman striker already at the age of twenty-seven. Um, it's not been. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's been ideal, but it's been uh, some roller coaster. Got released uh, at Hartlepool. Uh, haven't scored quite a few goals, and I thought I was going to get my chance. And for whatever reason, some things in football don't turn out. And then I literally just got a phone call to go out to Spain, which I thought I was going for a bit of a holiday. <laughs> uh, went out there, scored a few goals, and obviously at eighteen, you don't get many chances like that to go and play abroad so I took that chance and that didn't work out and then ever since I've come back I've obviously had to go the non-league route scored quite a few goals at Gisborough and then I went to Cardiff had a few loans which I probably it was probably too much of a big jump at the time from going from uh, playing part-time to playing um, football league within a few months it was probably uh, came a little bit too soon I thought I handled myself uh, okay, but I just obviously I didn't get those goals in Tranmere when they were at the bottom of the league, and then Stevenage didn't really work out either. So obviously I've had to fight, and then going to Gateshead, um, I've got, I think I've got a very good goal record there. If you look at my um, goals to starts ratio, it's um, it was pretty good, and obviously a spell in Scotland, which was a little bit hit and miss as well. Um, it started off well at Motherwell, uh, and then just a change of formation, uh, I couldn't get myself back in the team, and. Obviously, and then I moved on to Dundee, scored quite a few goals there when, when I was starting games, but um, found it difficult to get a consistent run of uh, games And before I came down to Leighton Orient. You'd obviously moved down from Scotland to Orient in January, so it's quite a uh, geographically a long way to move. <laughs> yeah. And and then the global pandemic hits th- three months later. What was what was that few months like for you? Where were you and, and you know uh, how did you deal with that? It was tough. I moved down at the end of January and then... I uh, got myself uh, in the door, got my, uh, got settled a little bit, 
Um, obviously, I was living in hotels for a few weeks trying to get a place sorted before my partner moved down from Scotland. So it was a little bit all over. Then I got in the in the team, scoring a few goals, and then all of a sudden the, the coronavirus came and put a stop to everything, which was a little bit strange because you go from moving, like a new signing, getting yourself used to your teammates and your surroundings, and then all of a sudden everything just stops just out the blue. So it was a little bit difficult to take because I wanted to finish the season strongly but it was tough. The word momentum is used a lot when people cover football but just looking at the way the Orient have started this season especially after such a long break and given how quickly the games are going to be coming it feels like something special might be happening the way not only you winning but winning in spectacular fashion as well. Uh, What is the target for the side this season? I mean it was kind of mid-table last season is there an ambition to go to go one better this time around? When we came back pre-season we set the, the goals is to go under the radar we've got a settled squad from last season there's been myself and uh, maybe one or two others that have come in uh, but there hasn't been like major changes so all the lads know each other got a close group of lads so um, that can only do well going forward especially with the manager knowing what he wants and how he wants to play we haven't really set any major major targets just to keep doing what we're doing I don't think we've played as the the staff would have liked so far in the four games, even though we've got four wins, can be a sign of a, a good team that's uh, very, very tough to beat if you're playing well and you're picking up results or you can start playing well. I'm afraid you're not going to be going under the radar much longer, <laughs> Danny, if you're scoring every game and, and, and winning in injury time. But uh, I certainly know what, what you mean. Uh, and lastly, after that win against Argyle, you know, that late winner was exciting. It meant four wins out of four. But it also means Tottenham Hotspur in the next round of the, the Cup. Next week, live on Sky, that game. Where will that rank it in the biggest game of, of your career especially because they're so worried about your goal threat that it looks like they've gone and bought Gareth Bale for it <laughs> I'm not sure about that um, <laughs> back to no, left back. yeah it's, it's going to be a big game uh, we've got to get Mansfield out the way first um, and then we can concentrate on Tottenham but uh, for myself personally when you've been playing at the level that I was playing at five six years ago when you're playing against teams that no one will have heard of in a local area, in a local league, to go and play against the likes of Tottenham is what what you play football for. You want to play against those big teams. And being in Scotland, I had the chance of obviously playing against uh, Celtic Rangers and Aberdeen, which is, that's a great experience uh, when you're playing against them. So obviously I can draw on that experience from playing against clubs like that and when we're going to the game against Tottenham. Just one more question before we let you go. Obviously there is an added story around the game against Tottenham as well with with former Lettonian manager Justin Edinburgh being a Spurs legend in his day as a player and and of course a Lettonian legend before he tragically passed away last summer I I know you weren't at the club when he was there but is there a feeling at the club this is going to be a special day in memory of of, you know such a great manager for the club yeah it's massive for the club everything all the connections there obviously with the uh, hurricane sponsorship the the current manager he was part of the the coaching team at Tottenham in the in the youths, um, and then obviously Justin. So it'll be a big big day. Um, obviously, it's great that it's on TV, and hopefully, we can uh, go and show what we can do. Got to be a conflict of interest for the sponsor Harry Kane there. Um, <laughs> and thank you so much, uh, Danny, for joining us. We we hope that we'll see you on the score sheet again this weekend. I've got a funny feeling we might, um, but we've really appreciated your time, and it's been great to hear about the start to the season for yourself and Orient. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. This is the Totally Football League Show with Ali Maxwell and George Ellis, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
So we are through the first weekend of EFL fixtures and we have another one hot on its heels coming up now and Ali and I are going to run through the games in each division that we think are the most interesting. So one in the Championship, one in League One and one in League Two and we're going to do so with the help of our sponsors Paddy Power. Ali, starting in the championship, which one, which game is it that you're most excited to see? Yeah, great question, George. One I'm glad you've asked. Uh, I'm really excited for Sheffield Wednesday against Watford this weekend. Uh, it's it's two sides with three points after their opening matches, or rather it's one side with minus nine points and one side with three points. But both sides picked up a win on, on opening weekend. And so I think this is where, when that's the case, you learn a little bit about both sides, about how, how positive a start that really was and, and did it paper over any cracks and, and what can we expect from these teams going forward. For Sheffield Wednesday, opening weekend could not have gone much better. Uh, they beat Cardiff away from home, an early goal, which was their new signing, the creative uh, genius Izzy Brown setting up Permanent summer edition, Josh Windass, early goal. And before halftime, Jordan Rhodes put them two up. So both strikers on the score sheet. Surely in the second half, Cardiff, a playoff side last year, would put them under pressure. Absolutely not. Sheffield Wednesday coasted to this win. The defensive structure looked more than sturdy. And Cardiff only had two shots in total in the second half, despite Sheffield Wednesday having that 2-0 lead. So look, it's it's clearly with Sheffield Wednesday that the, the, the larger context is the 12-point deduction that they started with. We said earlier in the week that even nine points, it feels much smaller than 12. And if they win here, they will, I think, most likely cut the gap to safety to, to six. So just imagine the buzz around the place if, if that is the case. We will learn whether that opening weekend performance was a flash in the pan or whether this is what we can expect from Sheffield Wednesday for the rest of the season or at least to start the campaign. Uh, and whereas with Watford, we weren't really sure what to expect, were we? They, they kicked off the season with a 1-0 win against Middlesbrough, uh, a new manager who's not managed uh, in the championship before, some new players uh, and some old players as well, some sort of legacy players from that Premier League uh, relegation. I thought on a basic level, they worked hard out of possession and they made it tough for Borough to create too many chances. It was difficult to be too excited about what they did as a team going forward, their goal coming early on from a set piece. They weren't fluid or fluent by any means, but I, I think that we can forgive that. Some of the positive signs were young players like Joao Pedro, who played up front, 18-year-old Brazilian striker, uh, and Gakia down the right wing, playing wing back in this three at the back system. Ken Semer in, in the centre of midfield, who I'd never seen play before, who drove forward with the ball well and also provided the assist for the goal. So it, it kind of feels like Watford are, are working things out as they go. That's often the case with relegated sides. But if they can keep picking up wins while they do so, then... I'm pretty confident they'll be right up there once they do settle down. So, uh, fascinating game. Two teams that won on opening weekend. And I'm looking forward to seeing which way this one goes. Uh, Paddy Power can't really split them. Sheffield Wednesday are 7-4. to four, Watford 6-4. to four. Uh, and the draw 21 to 10, just over two to one. So uh, look, it's a tight one in all aspects here. What do you think is the most interesting game this weekend? If not Sheffield Wednesday, Watford? It's a bit early to call this one El Sakiko, I must say, but um, Nottingham Forest against Cardiff is a game between two sides who really, really need a win. Forest under Sabri Lamucci have started the season very poorly indeed. Uh, they lost their first league game 2-0 away at QPR and beyond the scoreline, it was just a pretty toothless performance. They only mustered six shots in the game. Joe Lolly came off having had very little impact after just an hour. Luke Freeman making his debut again 
didn't really do much to impress. And Lyle Taylor came off the came off the bench and couldn't change anything to play up front with Lewis Graben. So we spoke to Paul Taylor, the Athletics Nottingham Forest writer, about Sabri Lamucci, the back end of last season, and then again a couple of weeks ago before this one. And the feeling was that whilst the owners at Forest were happy to support Lamucci over the summer. It wouldn't take much for this to very quickly fall apart. And looking at it at the moment, I don't think Paddy are giving us odds on this, but I would probably have Lamucci as the favourite for the first manager to be sacked in the EFL as it stands at the moment. And you just get a feeling like a bad result here, coupled with a poor performance, could see him gone after just two games of the season. Obviously, the context of this being not just this season, but that famous collapse at the back end of, of last one. And in Cardiff, you have another side who it feels like are in a bit of trouble. And this is despite, you know, all the narrative around Fulham towards the back end of last season. It's easy to forget that Cardiff actually beat Fulham 2-1 at Craven Cottage in the second leg of the playoff match. Um, But they've started this season very, very poorly indeed. They lost against Northampton Town in the Carabao Cup 3-0 and then went down 2-0 against Sheffield Wednesday, a team who's starting the season on minus 12 points, losing at home and really failing, failing to register much of a goal threat at all. Looking at their side, they brought in Kiefer Moore, who played up top and did okay. Um, and he's a player who, who will certainly be carrying the goal-scoring burden for Cardiff this season. But on the right-hand side, two new players brought in. Shea Yojo on the right-hand side uh, of midfield and then Jordi Osei-Tutu at right-back. And neither seemed to really click with most of uh, sorry most of Sheffield Wednesday's attacking play coming down the left-hand side as well. So for Neil Harris... It was so impressive what he did last season when he came in. He came into a club that Neil Warnock had left looking destined for at best of a, a mid-table finish and he managed to steer them into the playoffs and so close to Wembley as well. I don't really like using the term a playoff hangover because I'm not sure that necessarily exists. But given what happened with them losing the playoff semi-final and then two really abject displays, they're going to want to bounce back here. Paddy Power have Nottingham Forest as the favourites at the moment at 6-4. to four with Cardiff 9-5. to five. This game is, is live on Sky at 12.30, the early kickoff on Saturday. So I do implore people to watch it because if you want a game that's high stakes um, with a lot, you know, with both teams effectively, effectively needing a win to get their season up and running, this is certainly that. And um, and as I mentioned, I think if, if the points and the play go to the away side, then Sabri Lamucci's time in Nottingham may not last much longer. Uh, down though, Ali, into League One, and a couple of sides you've picked, one of which had a very good opening day victory and one not so much on the road. Yeah, I'm going to the seaside here, George. Blackpool against Swindon. I think this is a really interesting game in League One. You've got a Blackpool side who lost against Plymouth, Argyle on opening weekend, uh, and a Swindon side that won comfortably against Rochdale. But it's Blackpool, the home side, who are the favourites. Even money with Paddy Power, the draw 5-2, to two, uh, and Swindon 12-5, to five, so over 2-1 to one on, a, on a Swindon win there. Uh, and look, Blackpool in defeat against Argyle will have felt pretty baffled as to exactly how they picked up zero points. It was a very shoddy piece of defensive work from their winger, CJ Hamilton, uh, which which allowed a cross from the right-hand side that was well-finished by Jeffcott. Blackpool behind, three minutes into the season, not ideal, but plenty of time to get back into it. And in fairness, they did about as much as they could have done without scoring. It, it really was one-way, one-way traffic, especially in the second half. Hamilton, in fairness to him, looked very lively going forward, uh, but no goals. The Argyle keeper in fine form, 10 shots in 
inside the box for Blackpool, but no goals, 19 shots in total. Uh, yeah, they'll have, been, they'll have been licking their wounds afterwards, but I reckon feeling pretty bullish about their chances based on, on the way that they played and cutting out those really sloppy defensive errors. One of those opening day defeats where you, you kind of note down that even though they lost, Blackpool actually played pretty well. And, and you can see that Paddy aren't fooled either uh, by putting them as, as even money favourites for this game. Swindon, they were 3-1 winners at Rochdale, which puts them right towards the top of the table after just one game. We might look back on this and say they had their easiest fixture of the season first up because Rochdale barely laid a glove on them. Rochdale allowed them to score a, a pretty soft goal from a set piece. Uh, a back post header from Anthony Grant. And then uh, Wellens' ball was in full force. Uh, Richie Wellens' style of play, which has got the Swindon fans purring over the last 18 months, two years. Uh, a, a, a heavy pressing performance in the final third. They capitalised on a mistake, uh, passing out from the back from Rochdale. Uh, and their third Smith got on the score sheet. So they've got three players called Smith. All of them signed in the summer. Quite confusing. Uh, two of them scored on the weekend. And the other one, Johnny Smith, looked very dangerous out on the wing. I would say that Swindon's squad is still looking a little thin in some areas. Uh, and especially after the news that Michael Doughty, their creative midfield player, stepping away from the game for the foreseeable future. But I, I think we're going to learn a lot about both teams this weekend. I'll be keeping my eye very closely on this one. And a nice wrinkle as well is that uh, Blackpool signed two players who had been at Swindon last season and were part of their title-winning side. Jerry Yates, who was their sort of secondary goal-scoring option and a really popular figure at the club. Uh, and Keshi Anderson as well, who's a you know, really lively uh, attacking player who didn't always get on that well uh, at Swindon with the fan base, with the, with, you know, it didn't, it didn't always click for him there. So he'll be very motivated, I think, to, to get one over them this weekend. Uh, what, what do you think in League One is the interesting game of the weekend? Well, I've, I've gone for the obvious choice, Ali. I've gone for the game that everybody is excited for in League One. Of course, it is Burton Albion against Accrington Stanley. Don't laugh. I know this doesn't really feel or sound like a League One fixture, but it certainly is. And I think it's going to be nice. an interesting game because it's a massive kind of clash of, of styles, clash of squads, clash of management experience as well. In Burton, you've got rookie manager Jake Buxton uh, managing his first home game in the league at the Pirelli Stadium. He's had a couple in the Cup, most recently, of course, against Aston Villa, a game that was on the TV. Uh, and Burton acquitted themselves really well against a, a pretty strong Villa side and went 1-0 up in that game and only eventually came undone late on in the match to lose it 3-1. But you had Jack Grealish pulling the strings in midfield, um, Ollie Watkins scoring the opener. I mean, this was a proper Villa side and, and they really acquitted themselves well. Uh, Buxton's built a group of EFL stalwarts, I would say. Um, players like Stephen Quinn and John Brayford were already there, but he's added, and Lucas Aikens, of course, but he's added the likes of Michael Bostwick as well. John Joe O'Toole was sent off on, on opening weekend. Neil Erdley, all of these guys have really been around the block and there's certainly going to be no shortage of know-how uh, in the Burton Albion side. And it's completely the opposite at Accrington. We've got a manager we know all about in John Coleman. Uh, he's been at the club for, for as long as we've been doing this podcast and, and longer and brought such success to it as well. But this is a really young side and, and we're, we're kind of getting to know players as we go with it. Dion Charles is one who was there last season, brought in from Southport and scored eight goals in kind of a, a, a an attacking midfield forward hybrid role, should we say, and a scorer of great goals as well. One of those John Coleman pickups where you just can't really understand how he does it. 
grabbing a player from non-league who settles so well into League One immediately. But a couple of, of new players coming in. Toby Savin, I know who's one of your favourite players due to his name, Savin, and he's a goalkeeper. So Savin's been saving a lot. He's an academy graduate, six foot four, 19 years of age, and in Accrington's <laughs> opening league fixture win against Portsmouth. They won that game 2-0. He was the star player. And another one who I'm really interested in, a player that we're going to see a lot more of, I think, in Tariq Awakwe, who is a left-sided midfield player or left winger on loan from Chelsea. He's 20 years old. This is his first loan. And he scored a hat-trick in a a 7-0 win over Leeds under-21s in the EFL Trophy. Uh, He also got an assist in that game and then scored a lovely, lovely goal with his right foot, with his wrong foot in the the posh game as well. And he just looks like a player. Back in January, I was reading... Mm. Um, in some of the national press, he was being linked to 18-month loan deals to the likes of Derby. So the fact he's turned up at Accrington looks like a bit of a coup on paper and certainly on the pitch as well so far. So, And the other thing to mention as well is that these two sides have already played each other this season back in August in the first round of the Carabao Cup and and Burton won that game on penalties after a one-all draw. So a bit of a wrong to right for Accrington, especially given that Burton ended up playing a game got the TV money and got the Premier League opposition in the next round. It's nice as well because, you know, as you alluded to at the beginning of this, these are still fairly young EFL clubs in in some ways. Accrington Stanley's history is obviously richer at this level or, or as a football league club than Burton's, but they are definitely two of the model EFL clubs in, in, in the modern game anyway, having worked their way up from non-league where they would have played against each other tons of times in, in, the, uh, in, in all sort of the probably three tiers below the, the uh, even League Two. I know that John Coleman and Nigel Clough had, had come up against each other so many times uh, and Clough's now obviously moved on. So, you know, it's a, I, I'm sure there's a lot of respect between the two teams based on where they've come from. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's often easy to forget just how these clubs are punching above their weight in terms of wage bill as well when we see them constantly uh, being competitive at League One level. Uh, Paddy Power have Burton the favourites for this one at 13 to 10. The draw 11 to 5, Accrington 21 to 10. I wonder if going into it, Accrington will feel like the outsiders given the form they're in. Uh, coming into the match. Ali, into League Two now. Who have you selected here? Yeah, it's another three-point derby, this one. Uh, Morecambe were kind of the big winners of the EFL weekend, I would say. Uh, They beat Cheltenham away from home 2-1. They also won against Oldham in the Cup in midweek to set up a tie against Newcastle United. So things could barely have started better uh, for Morecambe. And it struck me that that win away at Cheltenham, you know, with the caveat that they had to weather a bit of a Cheltenham storm during the game, that it was a, a late, late winner. And on balance of play, Cheltenham would have felt hard done by to lose it. But even so, it just feels like the sort of game that Morecambe, despite constantly punching above their weight and surviving at this level, just haven't won or just don't win. You know, they've, they've, they, they are perennially the team that has a, a good record against fellow relegation strugglers, enough to keep them in the division, but normally tend to sort of roll over against the, the leading lights in the division. And, it, you know, Derek Adams' quotes afterwards were fascinating. Uh, he, he is adamant that he is going to change the way that this club speaks about itself and change the way that people in the media and other fans talk about Morecambe Football Club because it is the same old thing. There's there's a mixture of of credit that gets given to them for surviving year on year when they're always 
the bookies' favourites for relegation. But maybe there's a little bit of condescension as well that, you know, that's that's the best they can do. And and just surviving is a credit to them. And, you know, they shouldn't get any loftier ambitions. Derek Adams wants to change that. Um, and I think that, it's, that that makes them a really interesting team to watch this season. You know, we wouldn't get excited based on one win against Cheltenham. But, you know, given that we've talked about teams with low budgets and how they, you know, sometimes have a, a difficult job building squads that can compete against teams with more cash than them, you actually look at this Morecambe side and, and much more so than usual, it looks like a good team on paper. Um, from Sam Lavelle at the back, the captain and academy graduate uh, and, and, and his partners at the back, Harry Davis and Knight Percival, who have both got lots of experience at this level. You've got Diego Raga in the centre of the park who was playing championship football not too long ago. And up top, my flavour of the month, Carlos Mendes Gomez, who is a, a young player just making his first uh, appearances really and just looks to have that that bit of spark, that bit of quality, that bit of skill on the ball. He scored the winning goal against Cheltenham after a lovely little dummy shot. Uh, uh, yeah, and if you watch him run with the ball, uh, it's hard not to be pretty impressed and pretty excited. So it, it's funny because they come up against Cambridge, who had a really easy looking win on paper, 3-0 winners in their opening game. But they were such early goals and, and they basically were probably quite lucky not to concede against Carlisle. Uh, and Paddy Power are basically taking the stance that they're more impressed with Morecambe's win than they are with Cambridge's win because they've got Morecambe... 11 to 10 favourites here, uh, the draw 11 to 5 and Cambridge 23 to 10. So uh, they've looked at Cambridge's 3-0 win and thought, OK, Im impressive to get those early goals and, and some good finishes as well from their attacking players. But we're not buying it just yet. Uh, clearly, I've waxed lyrical about Morecambe there, but this Cambridge side are interesting as well. They've got the second youngest manager in the EFL in Mark Bonner, who's a, a local guy that sort of coached his way up through all areas of that club and, and is really uh, in tune with how they want to do things at Cambridge. So two teams that are worth a watch that were certainly not much fancied before the start of the season, but one of them could well be on six points after two games. So Morecambe versus Cambridge in League Two. Keep an eye on that one. What about you? Finally, Exeter Port Vale, another game between two sides who, who got off to decent starts. Exeter drew 2 all away at Salford. Salford, a side who you and I, Ali, are very keen on, or at least were before the season started, very keen on, on doing well this season after their summer of recruitment. But Exeter arguably had the, the better of that game, you'd, you'd have to say. We're probably unlucky to come away with it with just the point, having gone 1-0 behind. And, and Port Vale absolutely trounced Crawley 2-0 at home on opening day as well. And, and John Askey has got this Vale side it's too early to be under the radar, but they were certainly last season very close to, to crashing the playoff party. And I think the break in football came at a pretty bad time for them. Now, last season, their home form was very important to their success. And they were dominant at home and, and didn't struggle on the road, but, but were by no means as strong. So this is a difficult trip to St. James Park for them to try and counteract that. But Exeter, looking back at last season, they were absolutely thrashed 4-0 by Northampton at Wembley so for them to come back out just a couple of you know just six weeks later or so and put in that kind of performance against one of the title favourites shows that Matt Taylor's side uh, are going to be right up there again and it's important to remember with Taylor he came into the job replacing Paul Tisdale after Tisdale was the longest serving manager in the EFL a rookie manager as well and for two years in a row has got them into the playoffs and they've got some cracking players particularly Randall Williams off the right hand side who it's looking less and less likely he's going to stay at the club. So this could be one of his final games for them. And uh, and Mark Cullen scored two of the easiest chances you're really going to get um, uh, on the weekend. So he starts the season on, on, two, uh, on two goals. But they are a side who have basically just continuity is the key for Askey's side. They've kept what they have from last season, added 
one or two here and there. Um, but they are many people's dark horses. So it feels like it's a bit too early to talk about top-of-the-table clashes. But I think in Exeter versus Port Vale, we're seeing two sides who will be in and amongst the promotion race come the end of the season. Unsurprisingly, maybe Exeter are the favourites here at 6-5. to five. The draw 9-4 to four and Port Vale are 9-4. to four. So expecting some more home comforts in Exeter to build on that good performance where Salford to get their first three points of the season. Well then, uh, a special thank you to our guests from today's podcast, Brian Caldwell of Shrewsbury Town and Danny Johnson of Leighton Orient. And I think it's been great to hear about one of the teams that has started the season about as well as possible and in such dramatic fashion as well uh, with a goal-scoring superstar in, in Danny Johnson. But also really great to hear the plans of Shrewsbury Town ahead of this weekend's pilot games because, George, that is pretty much the most, I guess, overriding important theme of the season of course the football has started we're enjoying watching the games we're enjoying analyzing games and 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 sort of forgetting our troubles which we do by watching football but the overriding theme is we need fans back in the stadium and it's it's a pretty tricky topic but hopefully we're moving forward in in that regard yeah it's difficult because we can't covering these leagues talk about it on every podcast every week because we have to talk about the football but that doesn't mean that this isn't still a very precarious situation and getting a thousand fans into now eight stadiums on Saturday is such an important step forward it's more important than anything that's happened on the pitch so far this season um, so forgive us if we're not talking about it every week but hopefully you know the chat with, with Brian today shows where we are and shows the, the position that we're in uh, and given you know what's happened with Macclesfield who of course are no longer an EFL club um, so we haven't spoken about it specifically now but given what's happened with Macclesfield this week being wound up um, that should be a reminder to football fans that this even though that isn't a Covid related incident what's happening with the break in football and with no fans being allowed into stadiums and therefore no match day revenue there is a real issue that press releases like the one that came out this week could become more common so keeping everything crossed that the trials this weekend go to plan and fingers crossed the early october date for this to be rolled out uh, across the efl um, goes goes ahead without any glitches would definitely suggest if anyone uh, wants to read more about the topic, Matt Slater's piece uh, on The Athletic, which went live on Wednesday, uh, is a, a, I mean, it's, it's a stark, it's a tough read, I must admit. Uh, so there's a warning there for you. But there's a, a lot of quotes from a lot of people within the game uh, about how important it is uh, and what might be on the horizon if we can't get fans through the door. But enough of that. Let's look forward as well to this weekend. We've previewed six games, uh, two from each division. We hope now that you listening are as excited as we are about the second round of fixtures in this EFL season. Make sure you catch the Totally Football League show on Monday where they will dissect it uh, in their expert manner. And we will be back this time next week. We hope that you'll join us then. Please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed for all future episodes. And as always, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media